following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. Let's talk about the privileges and responsibilities of being a child of God. Uh, I was, I would have kept going in Jude, but uh, I plan to do Cora next week, and the change of plans with Vinny and Carmelinda happened over Thursday night and Friday morning, and I had not yet done enough research on Cora, so I'm putting that off for a week, and I'm going to talk about something else. Now, when I talk about the privilege of being a child of God, this could sound a little bit like I'm trying to tap into the language you hear now about privilege in our cultural discussion. Um, I, I hate that this overlaps and could muddy it because discussing the privileges of being a child of God, this has happened for centuries in the church, and the word has been attached with it, as well as responsibilities. So I'm, I'm not trying to borrow something or make some veiled implication about other discussions of privilege going on right now. I'm simply talking about the privileges and the responsibilities of being a child of God. And I want to do this by talking about uh, family. Uh, any country music fans in the room? Anybody? D depends on, okay, I'm going to give you two to look up here, Julie. So Rodney Atkins sings a song called Watching You. I just want to read you what the song's about here. Driving through town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone, a green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word. It started with S, and I was concerned, so I said, Son, where'd you learn to talk like that? And he said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo, I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. We're just alike, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. So we got back home and I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard. Said, Lord, please help me help my stupid self. Just this side of bedtime, later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed and he got down on his knees. And he closed his little eyes and he folded his little hands. He spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, where'd you learn to pray like that? And he said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike. Ain't we, dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. I like that, that song. It's a good reminder, but also a little bit of a tearjerker, depending what kind of mood you're in. So that's a good one for you, Julie. Add that to your list. But then there's one that's a little different. This one's by Billy Currington. It's called Walk a Little Straighter. I remember looking up to look at him, and I remember most of the time he wasn't there. I'd be waiting at the door when he got home at night. He'd pass me by to go pass out in his chair, and I'd say, Walk a little straighter, Daddy. You're swaying side to side. Your footsteps make me dizzy, and no matter how I try, I keep tripping and stumbling. If you'd look down here, you'd see. Walk a little straighter, Daddy. You're leading me. Well, he stumbled in the gym on graduation day, and I couldn't help but feel so ashamed, and I wasn't surprised a bit when he didn't stay. He stumbled out before they called my name. Walk a little straighter, Daddy. You're swaying side to side, and it's not just me who's watching you. You've caught everybody's eye. And you're tripping and stumbling, and even though I've turned 18, walk a little straighter, Daddy. You're still leading me. 
So I want to talk about family today. I want to talk about earthly parents and what it's like to be a child of them, but also a child of God. And I'm going to talk about dads this morning, um, partly because the image of the Bible is God the Father, but also I'm speaking as a father, and I think of this through the lens of a father. So I'm going to be talking about lineage and stuff through the lens of my father and my grandfather and my boys. Um, I don't mean for this to place the women into irrelevance. It's just the language I'm using for my analogy today. And, it, and I'm going to talk a bit about honor and shame. So the Bible was written in what's called an honor and shame culture. And it simply means that there was a broader understanding that the way in which individual people lived their lives had implications about the honor or the shame of their family. So um, that, that's deeply embedded in the scriptural narrative with almost everything we read. It's a little different to talk about for us because we're not really an honor-shame culture. Uh, some places around the world still are, but I, I want to tap into that idea a little bit this morning also. So my grandpa, his name is Martin Weber. He left Pennsylvania. He was sitting on a tractor farming, and he felt very clearly that God said to him, you need to move to Alabama, and you need to start a ministry. So he did. And he not only farmed in Alabama, I mean, they cleared, I don't know how many acres of swamp land and began to farm, but he started a prison ministry there called We Care, and that ministry is still striving today. And what it does is it takes people who get out of prison, and it says, we care about you, and it tries to help them reintegrate into society, because in many cases, the percentage of people who end up back in prison is pretty high, so they're trying to help them reestablish themselves. In fact, one of the men he helped showed up at our uh, Weber reunions and Christmases and meals for decades, became a real friend of the family. In the 1960s and 70s, this was in Alabama, it was a racially charged climate, to put it mildly. And my grandpa was the first white man to preach in an all-black church in Mobile, Alabama. And one of the ex-prisoners who benefited from his ministry was the first black man to set foot in an all-white church in Mobile. So this was my grandpa, and I was watching him, and it was cool. It's the first song. I've been watching you, grandpa. Ain't that cool? But also, my grandpa wasn't perfect. He did a little swaying side to side, I found out later, because a lot of my years, I kind of knew grandpa from a distance. I would get to see him on holidays and reunions, because we lived in Ohio and they lived in Alabama. And I remember at his funeral, as people were getting up and speaking, there were a couple people that made me a little nervous. They were like, yeah, Martin Weber was really hard to get along with. And it felt like people got up and were like almost kind of criticize, I'm like, it just felt awkward at a funeral. You're not supposed to say good things. But it turned out they were saying honest things. And what they were saying was, in spite of those things, uh, he was a, a good man with a legacy that matters. And I remember talking with an uncle of mine later about that. I'm like, really? That was grandpa? He's like, yeah, that was, that was also part of grandpa that you just didn't see. Uh, okay. So, um, Watching him was cool, but there was certainly a, a part of his life that swayed a little side to side. Well, his oldest son was my dad, Leon. So Leon, son of Martin. He farmed with Grandpa. He worked with Grandpa in prison ministry. Uh, at times, he and my mom ran a home for juvenile delinquent girls. We moved to Ohio. He taught in a Bible college there for years and continued farming quite a bit of his life on the side. He was a counselor. He was a traveling preacher. Uh, and in fact, a couple years ago, uh, mom was just filling me in with stories about my dad's life. And I reminded me that there was a time when I was young and lived in Alabama, we went to a black church for a while. 
And uh, my mom told me we, they, we'd be followed to church, and uh, there were some threats and things like that. And so I was watching my dad, and it was cool. Like, there was a lot of things to admire about my dad. But my dad also wasn't perfect. He did a little sway and side to side. And I, I knew some of that at the time, but in hindsight, as I have talked with other people, uh, I realized I didn't see everything. So that was kind of a mixed bag. And so now here I am. I'm Anthony. Only son of Leon to pass on the Weber name. I'm the oldest son or oldest grandson of Martin to pass on the Weber name. And I have three boys, AJ, Braden, and Vincent. And if they have kids, they'll pass on the Weber name. And it makes me think of uh, the way you hear people describe, like in classical literature or epics it's Arthur Pendragon, son of Uther. Uh, Aragorn, son of Arathorn, for all you Lord of the Rings fans. So uh, here's Vincent over here. Vincent, son of Anthony, son of Leon, son of Martin. Uh, which I probably made that sound more impressive as I said it. I don't know, trying to make it son of Anthony. Yeah, something, okay. But there, there's something about understanding the context of our life and the lineage of our life. It's almost as if knowing where we've come from is as important as knowing where we are and where we're going. And for some of us, looking back where we've come from, uh, this is a, a blessing. Our family line is a blessing where we look back and we say, I've been watching you, Dad, and it was cool. So we have good experiences. And if we're not careful, those things can actually become a little paralyzing if we feel this uh, ungodly pressure to just perform and keep the name going. I mean, that's, that's not the point. Ideally, it's simply empowering. This has been given to me. This is the legacy I want to pass on, this legacy that I've been given. But then for some of us, it's not a blessing at all. I mean, we place ourselves in a family tree and we'd like to cut off the branch and graft it in somewhere else because the legacy that we've been given wasn't a good one. And one of the dangers there is we can look at where we've come from and it be can become so dysfunctional and we kind of think, well, our history is our destiny and we, and we feel like we're stuck passing that on. But on the other hand, it can be empowering in that we can look at it and go, but I don't want that. I saw that for what it was. I would like to offer something else. I'm going to change this legacy. My history isn't my destiny. So, so I've been thinking about that. But in addition to this sense of where my place is in the story that preceded me, I've been thinking more and more about um, what the role of being both a son and now a father is in the sense that it comes with both responsibilities and privileges. So... I carry the Weber name, so what I do as a Weber has implications. I, I can honor or shame the legacy of the Webers that I've been given. So when I go back to Alabama, if I would walk into a town, this is a small town that we grew up in in Alabama, and at least uh, 30, 40 years ago, when uh, my grandpa was farming and was kind of in the heyday of his ministry, uh, I could walk into a store or a business in Alabama and I could say, I am Martin Weber's grandson. And doors would open because my grandpa had a good reputation. In fact, to this day, it wasn't that long ago, I went down uh, for Christmas and I went to the local YMCA to uh, work out and they, they saw my name and they said, are you related to the Webers here? I'm like, yeah, uh, Martin Weber was my grandpa. Oh, boom, we made a connection. And I think I got in for free that day. Uh, so there's opportunities I get because of the reputation of my grandpa that preceded me and, and my dad, but not as much as my grandpa in Atmore. 
Um, when I traveled in Mennonite circles, though, I, when I was in Bible college, I was part of this singing group, and we'd travel around the U.S. and do a tour every spring break, and we would always stay in people's homes. And so we'd sit at a table, and I'd start talking, and I'd go, my dad's Leon, and people would go, oh, because they had heard of Leon Weber because he spoke, and they'd go, is Martin your grandpa? Yeah. And just like that, I was placed somewhere, and the legacy of that was a, was a good legacy. People actually looked at me differently when they found out who my dad and my grandpa were because they had a good reputation. So that, that's the privilege of being a child of, of someone whose name precedes them in a good way. So then... What I did in those moments, people make those connections. I'm at the YMCA. Oh, you're Martin's grandson. Okay. I'm sitting at a kitchen table. Oh, you're Leon's boy. All right, so I've got an I've got a opportunity now. I can continue to make this reputation or I can begin to break this reputation. And that's the responsibility side of it. Because even if I've been given something really good, um, that's momentum, and I'm... I'm either going to build that momentum or I'm going to begin to break that momentum. At my dad's funeral, uh, I didn't speak. I didn't get up and give a eulogy. I was, it was too much. And I just decided my life would be my eulogy. And, and the reason I felt that way is because my dad was who he was. He was meaningful to me. Uh, I knew he wasn't perfect, but I, I felt like what he had brought to the world was a good thing. And I thought it was a privilege to have that kind of father, and I, I wanted to spread that legacy or further that legacy, but which also meant I have a responsibility because I bear the name, and indeed I bear the image of my father. So it's a privilege, but now I have a responsibility that goes with it. And as a dad, I have the privilege of having sons. And see, I, I can also honor or shame the Webbers that follow me, not just the ones in front of me, Back when AJ was in high school, I was playing ball with a bunch of the guys in an open gym, and I said to one of the guys, that was boss. And at the time, that was a cool phrase, work with me here. I'm like, that was boss, and AJ looks at me and goes, Dad, stop. Like, like please don't talk like that. You're not 16 anymore. Uh, and that goes true with dad jokes, and actually, I've been working on this. I got this mask to wear. And Braden's like, yeah, I'm not going shopping with you if you wear that. But Vincent's like, yeah, put it on. Like, he's all excited, right? So I, I've got a responsibility to think about not just how my life reflects on those who raised me and formed me, but also it's going to reflect on the lives that those I am raising and forming. I don't know if you've ever seen the play The Crucible, which is about the Salem witch trials. There's a fantastic movie version out. And one of the characters named John Proctor is falsely accused of witchcraft, and he's asked to, consign, to sign his name to a confession. If he doesn't sign it, he's going to be hanged, even though it's a false accusation. If he signs it, he goes down in history as having practiced witchcraft, but he lives. So at first he signs it because he wants to live. He's got boys. He's got a wife. And then he picks it up, and, and he can't do it. And the people in charge go, why won't you just do this? And his response is, because it is my name, because I cannot have another in my life, because I lie and I sign myself to lies, 
because I'm not worth the dust on the feet of them that hang. How may I live without my name? I've given you my soul. Leave me my name. And the reason this was so important, he had said just a couple lines earlier, I have three children. How may I teach them to walk like men in the world? So there's something about not just um, my, my life in terms of how it reflects on who brought me to this point, but there's something about my life that I'm going to pass on to those, uh, my family in particular. Okay, enough about me and the Webers. That's, that was all the setup for 20 minutes. One thing I find fascinating about biblical genealogies is that they don't pull any punches. They show you the characters who you're like, I've been watching you and it's cool, I want to be like you. And it shows you the characters who are swaying side to side. The Bible doesn't flinch on giving an honest representation. And this, since this is a, in the Old Testament in particular, written to the Jewish people, it doesn't flinch in giving them an honest look at their heritage, which means God doesn't flinch at reminding people of where they've come from because there's some momentum you want to continue, there's some momentum that you want to break. And so in biblical genealogies, you get this momentum to build on, either continue what's there or look at it and go, I don't think I want to continue this. And then we get to the ultimate character in the Bible and the ultimate lineage, which is Jesus. So what you're going to see on the screen is what chapter 1 in Matthew looks like. And it starts with, and they're recording the genealogy here from Abraham, uh, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, etc. All right, that's the big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The scroll out at the end, and then finally we get, there was Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. And then lots of little words in between there. But in those little words, there's a fascinating thing that shows up. And that is, within that genealogy, you're going to see that there's a mixed bag. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, awesome. That's pedigree. All right, Rahab is listed. Rahab was a Canaanite. She was not of Israelite descent. Ruth, she was from Moab. She was a Moabite, not Israelite descent. And the Canaanites and the Moabites were often actually enemies of Israel. Bathsheba was a Hittite by marriage. She commits adultery with David. One of their children was Solomon, who uh, the kingdom fractured under Solomon. Uh, Tamar is mentioned in this list. We're not sure where she's from, but she seduced her own father-in-law by pretending she was a prostitute. Jehoram is in this list. He killed all his brothers to secure his power, and the Bible says he abandoned God. A guy named Ahaz is in this list. He offered his son to the god Moloch by burning him alive. This is the genealogy of Jesus. The Bible doesn't flinch away from it. I like how C.S. Lewis says this in Prince Caspian, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia. You come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan, and that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar, and it's shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. <laughs> but see, Jesus was also the son of God. And there actually comes a, a tension point in the narrative of Jesus where his earthly father, who comes from all this lineage, wants him to do a thing, and the, his heavenly father wants him to do this other thing. And what does Jesus say? I must be about my father's business. And he didn't mean Joseph. He meant his heavenly father, 
So I'm Anthony, son of Leon, grandson of Martin, but it's not where my ultimate identity is found because in my earthly genealogy, I have been given a mixed bag. I have been given blessings and cursings. I have been given good things and bad things. I have been given momentum I want to build on and momentum I don't. But that's not where I find my identity, and that's not where my greatest privilege and responsibility comes from. I am Anthony, child of God. And at the end of the day, though all those other things matter as I think about what has formed me, and they're good for me to think about in terms of, of the honor and shame of the Weber name, I, I try to take that seriously. But at the end of the day, that's not the most important thing to me in the world. I'm Anthony, child of God. And the honor and shame of God and of my faith and of the church, those are the things that I'm most interested in. I'm most interested in what, what is the privilege of being a child of God look like and what is the responsibility of being a child of God look like. I'm to give you four verses in the Bible that just talk about this. John 1.12 to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 17. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 1 John 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. We should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Ephesians 2, 19. I'm a fellow citizen with God's people. I'm a member of God's Household, So I'm Anthony, child of God, and I must be about that father's business. And there's fantastic privileges that come with this. And I've got a bit of a list, but I want to go through them. I want to remind us of them this morning. Number one, eternal life. Jesus said, I came to give life. I came to give life more abundant. And life in Christ begins now, but extends through eternity. There's forgiveness of sins. I no longer have to pay the eternal penalty of my rebellion against God. Jesus took that upon himself. That means there's reconciliation to God. God and I aren't at war anymore. Even though I was fighting against him, and even though my flesh still struggles, I'm reconciled to God through Christ. That's what we call salvation. I've been saved from my sin. There's the grace of God that we're given, which is just phenomenal. It's the love of Christ, the agape love, so much he laid down his life for us. There's deliverance from darkness, and darkness is just an image in Scripture of the, the realm of chaos and death and decay. We're delivered from that. We're given the Holy Spirit that guides and comforts and directs and convicts and encourages us. We're given access to God in prayer. We get to talk to God we're given fruit to bear, fruit we could never bear on our own. We're given spiritual power and strength. God fights for us such that in our lives, things happen for us we could never do on our own, but God does them for us. We're rescued from God's future wrath. We're given joy. The Bible says it's unspeakable. It's full of glory. We're given a hope. There is never a situation where we are hopeless peace with God. I think I mentioned that before. We're given wisdom. Like, we don't have to rely on just our own thoughts to figure stuff out. 
God gives us wisdom through his word and through his spirit and through his people. We get a life and a labor that are not in vain. We know that we live in a universe full of meaning and that what we do and say matters every moment. That's fantastic. So becoming a follower of Christ, finding my identity in him brings with it privileges and blessings that can be found nowhere else. It's a privilege to be a child of God. But then, just like with my earthly father, I bear the image of my heavenly father. All of us do. Right? The Bible's clear. All people bear the image of God in some sense. And then, when we give our lives to Christ, we're transformed into the image of God in the sense that now we begin to more specifically uh, look like Jesus as the Holy Spirit's working in us and transforming us. And so, just like with my earthly father, I carry the name and the reputation of my heavenly father. I must be about my father's business. And if I'm going to be about my father's business, I want to represent my father well, because God has entrusted us. God has entrusted me and you with his reputation. God has entrusted us with that. We bear the image and the name and the reputation of the Father. And it's not as if, if we screw up, we somehow alter God's character and nature, right? That's not the point. He's just given us the privilege of being a child and the responsibility of being a child. So I've tried to pull a couple verses together that kind of capture this idea, a statement that combines the privilege and responsibility. And this is what I have. I'm sure it could be better, but we're working with this this morning. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That's the privilege. Such that we have the fearful responsibility of being ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. Now, here's the awesome thing. There's no swaying in God, right? Going back to those country songs at the beginning. I don't have to worry that the father whose legacy I'm representing is a mixed bag. It's not. It's a perfect legacy. And so that's one of the really cool things is that I can represent Christ with no shame. There's nothing I have to be ashamed about. It's all quite exciting for that matter. So as, as children of God, we bear the image, we bear the name, the reputation, and the mission of our heavenly father. So here's my question this morning is, how's that going for us? Let's think of it this way. What did people around you learn about Jesus this week by interacting with you? Parents, what did your kids learn about your heavenly father this week as you interacted with your kids? Because we're bearing that image. We're bearing that name. We're, we're either building on the perfect reputation that's been given to us or we're de- or detracting from it. Has it gone this week with your kids? How'd it go with your spouse? How about your coworkers? How about other people here in the church? Did they learn? I just started making a list last night, so I'm just going to read the list. Did they learn that Jesus loves reconciliation? Did they learn that Jesus loves division? Did they learn that Jesus loves peace or that he loves dissension and war? Did they learn that Jesus loves self-control or self-indulgence? Honesty or dishonesty? Respect of image bearers or the humiliation of image bearers? Hiddenness or transparency? Boldness or fear? Truth or gossip and lies? Forgiveness or resentment? Did they learn that our Heavenly Father loves soft words that turn away anger 
Or does it look like our Heavenly Father loves harsh words that provoke? What about generosity versus selfishness? Repentance versus defensiveness? Walking into tension versus walking away from tension. This list could go on and on and on. But the reminder is that while we've given this privilege of being a child of God with the tremendous gifts that we are given, they come with them a responsibility and that God has said, okay, if you take my name, don't take my name in vain. It's one of the top commandments. Don't don't pick it up lightly. Uh, Let it be weighty in your life. Because as my image, as my ambassador, whose presence says something about the one who is represented, what are people learning about the one that we represent? We have a perfect legacy given to us. What kind of momentum are we building from it? So closing thoughts. We need to take this responsibility seriously. Imperfection is to be expected, by the way. I don't want to put on you a burden of getting everything right because you'll never accomplish it and then you'll just want to give up. Um, this week, I, I, try, I try hard to be a good dad. This week, I had to go back to Vince at one time and say, dude, I'm sorry. I did not respond like I was supposed to this morning. That, that was wrong. Okay, I'm trying to represent my heavenly father by being a, by being a, a godly earthly father, but I don't always pass it on right doesn't mean the story's over and I just throw up my hands and walk away. It means I can go back and go, okay, my heavenly father loves repentance and reconciliation. What does it look like for this father to love repentance and reconciliation? Right? So I'm not talking perfection. But I think we have to take that seriously. But I want to look again at the privileges we've been given just with the list that I gave. Look at life in the kingdom. Look at life in the kingdom. It is characterized by reconciliation, peace, self-control, honesty, the respect of image bearers, transparency, boldness, truth, forgiveness, soft words that deflect anger, generosity, repentance, the ability to walk into tension instead of away from it. By the way, thanks to two of you who are listening to this message who walked into tension with me this week instead of walking away from it, you represented your heavenly father well. Uh, joy, hope, grace, justice, mercy. This list could go on and on. It is such a privilege to be a child of God. I don't want us to forget it. But let's also remember, with that privilege comes this fantastic responsibility we have. I I hope it's an invigorating one and not one that makes you too nervous. Okay, I get to walk out of here and I get to represent God to the world. I'm an ambassador. And my prayer this morning is that we have the wisdom, the grace, and the love to pass on the gifts that our Heavenly Father has given us so that a world in need of a perfect Father and that perfect legacy can see Jesus through His Word, His Spirit, His ambassadors, and enter into His family. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.